Just drink it, all right? <laughs> Chester, have you opened the wine yet? Can we get the show on the road, please? Did you bring the wine? I got the wine. <laughs> what do you think this is? Some kind of bitchin' wine talk show? Good morning, afternoon, and evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to my Bitchin' Wine Talk Show. I'm your host, Stephen Lane, with my trusty and rusty colleague, Chester the Nightfly Northfield. Chester, good afternoon. Good evening. And good morning. <laughs> Stephen, what are we drinking? This, this is the talk show where we uh, the points don't matter, the reviews are made up, and we say whatever we want about the wine that we're drinking. And uh, to answer your question, Chester, we are drinking this week the... 2016 Blue Mountain Vineyard and Cellars Sauvignon Blanc from the Okanagan Valley in beautiful British Columbia, as the license plates so temptuously read. Yeah. All over the province. You know, during the summer, it's true. I think it's beautiful <laughs> all year round. All right, I didn't think that I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't be living here. Time for the miseducation of Chester the Nightfly. Get ready, folks. Buckle <laughs> up and don't believe anything we say. Uh, shall we open the wine, Chester? What is it again? It's the, 2000 <laughs> <laughs> it's the 2016 vintage Blue Mountain Vineyard and Cellars mm. Sauvignon Blanc from uh, the estate. Um, the vineyard is a single property uh, in the Okanagan Falls area of the Okanagan Valley. Beautiful British Columbia. I haven't been to the Okanagan. Do you know that? Well, that's perfect. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to travel here via imbibe. We're going to teleport via. We're going to teleport via, via the via tongue. <laughs> the Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Is it Blanc or is it Blanc? Blanche. <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc. They forgot the H. <laughs> they forgot the H and the E. Oh. Okay. You can hear that. That is my trusty waiter's friend, plunging into the cork. We've got a wine under cork here, and it seems to be... Uh, Steven, you're smelling the side of the cork. Most yes, people, I am. Most, most people, like... I've actually... <laughs> most people, like, <sighs> stick the end of the, like, the, the colored wet end of it in their, in their face. Yeah, I don't know why they do that. Well, okay, then why do you smell the side of it? I want to make sure the cork is clean and the cork is untainted. How do you tell that? Uh, well, why don't you smell it, Chester, and tell me what it smells like. Hmm. It's kind of... Cork's got, like, a little bit of a sweet smell to it. That's a good sign. If the cork smells a little bit sweet and kind of like a dry, you know, wood shop, just clean wood, uh, we've got a nice cork on our hands. Wait, so traditionally, why do we smell the cork? Are we just looking to see if if there's like a moldy smell in the cork itself? Uh, not necessarily moldy, but that can definitely be part of it. Uh, there's a few reasons. Uh, the main reason is we're looking for um, what we would call cork taint, which is a bacteria, um, short, you know, abbreviated as TCA, which stands for trichloranosol, um, which can live in organic material and it can live in non-organic material as well, and uh, it will taint the. It, will, it will, can live in the cork, and basically will kind of have this. Uh, it'll taint wine. It'll give it this kind of. It'll give the the cork will smell this have this high tone smell, 
this kind of a uh, high tone. Like, so it's kind of like if you if you combine uh, like a musty basement with nail polish remover, you get a similar effect. Okay, kind of like wet cardboard in a dog. Well, they say that, but I think they always are missing the kind of like you know battery acid nail polish <laughs> kind of. Uh, it smells like a you know it smells like rubbing oh, alcohol wow. to me a little bit. Oh, this smells so good. So yeah, we've got a clean cork on our hands, folks. So I really get my I really get my nose into the side of the cork. Um, some people like to smell they're smelling the end of the cork where it touches wine. I actually don't want to smell that because I want to know about the cork. Mm. If the cork is clean. There's no reason the wine shouldn't be clean unless the cork failed for another reason, unless the cork wasn't actually a proper closure, which is a whole separate issue. But hmm. Interesting. We can go into that at a later episode. Um, the main thing is that we've got a bottle under cork, and we've got a good cork that has done its job. It has kept the wine um, oh. in a wonderful state. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the, the smell of this wine right now. Yeah, I'm very, we're very excited about this wine. So let's, uh, let's have a little toast here. Let's, uh, let's cheers to our, yeah, we're sort of celebrating our fourth episode. Our we're fourth al- episode. We're always celebrating. It's been a great day. And let's, uh, let's, let's touch on the appearance of the wine. So kind of a pale, um, I would say a pale gold, very pale gold. Yeah, this um, reminds me of like honeysuckle. Can you go further on that, please? Well, when I used to live in Georgia... You know, in the summers, we would just like pick all sorts of honeysuckle flowers and then just just taste it. The color of honeysuckle? Yeah, because one day I like I tried to like pool a whole bunch of honeysuckle. I like got so many flowers and got like a little like tiny shot of it, and it it, it looked like this. Okay, there yeah. you go. It was beautiful stuff. It's a really pale uh, gold. As Chester says, Chester says honeysuckle. Or pale lemon, you know, it could be like lemon flesh, kind of like a pale morning thing. sunshine. Morning sunshine. I mean, yeah, this is kind of the the geek speak. So let's let's just move on. It's white. It's it's a white wine, people. Okay, so we're smelling the wine here. It's Sauvignon Blanc from BC. Um, and yeah, we're we're really liking this already. I mean, this is what what do you talk to me? Talk to me a little bit, Chester, so I don't uh, well, okay, save right, me that, from myself. Right. Save fir- our listeners from the first like, you know, little. I wish there was a better wi- like word than whiff. Well, I don't want your I don't want your geek speak. I want your raw speak. You know, I want your well. Layman I, I, speak. At first, I got like a like you just smelled a little cheesy, okay. like like good stinky cheesy. But now that I smell it more, you know, lemon. Yep. Well, of course, Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, citrus. Mm. It smells very fresh. I think it smells like it's going to be refreshing. Going to be bright tasting. And it smells like it's going to be a dry wine. It's almost a little bit chalky. You know, you got like kind of that. There's that mineral quality which we've discussed in the past, and which we'll continue to discuss. Uh, this is what the chemical scientists who are making like pine salt and, and cleaning products. That's what they're trying to get this smell, and, and you know, failing obviously. But, well, yeah, I would hope that they're failing. But you would want everything to. This smells so good. This is how I want a bathroom to smell. Like, uh, well, my bathroom usually smells like this on a Saturday <laughs> night, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Um, okay. So, um, we think it smells kind of fresh, bright, lively, citrusy. Um, I don't think it smells like let's, let's, let's use a little counterpoint. I mean, let's talk about Sauvignon Blanc, uh, for a second. I don't really think it smells, um, really pungent and body odory and asparagusy. Uh, well, like, the, the first, the first like smell of it I got, I was like, whoa, that smells like a stinky cheese. Which is a good but smell. It, I think, like, you it know, dissipated almost immediately. We really like that smell. I think that's a really a mark of uh, that smell I've used a lot to describe uh, many great wines. Um, certainly, you know, a lot of French wines, a lot of Chablis, uh, a lot of white Burgundy. Um, 
wines from the Loire Valley, Sancerre, mm-hmm. uh, some great, you know, white Bordeaux or um, stuff from, you know, the Madiron or southern right. France, can, all over France. Can we sink some teeth into this? I think we can, yes. Santé. Mm. Oh, yeah. And what a delight it is. And I think uh, for me, you know, this really, it's refreshing. It's all those things, but it's got certainly. It's got like a metallic taste in it. Could you uh, spin that positively for uh, for some of our listeners? Oh, well, I mean, I like licking aluminum and steel. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> No, 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 no. Why is there going to be something wrong with the like? You know, oysters. I don't think. I don't. I don't. I just don't. I'm not saying you're incorrect. I wouldn't. I'm not even saying okay. I disagree with you. All right. No, what no, I, no. Now hold on a second. Let's just let's just, let's let's dive this. This is this program is all about the tangents that arise. We want to have a real conversation about wine. So you think I'm, it tastes a little metallic? I'm ready to explain myself. You've said stinky cheese and metallic. Mm-hmm. Um, now these are descriptors that I enjoy, but I also think these kind of descript these are the kind of descriptors that can be you know, isolating for a consumer who is not, you know, doesn't have their mind set around these kind of extraneous terms that are, you know, probably not, you know, in the majority of people associated with delicious. Okay. So what this reminds me of is there's a line in a movable feast, Hemingway, where he describes oysters as having a mercurial taste okay and i think i think almost anyone can most people have tasted an oyster and they they can relate to that sort of like deep sea mercurial metal taste sure and then, or min- mineral we could mineral, say yeah 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 if we're gonna be reductive but i i mean now like i said i'm not uh but not by any stretch attempting to quell your creativity, even though I might sound like I am. I just want to merely, uh, you know, bring it, let's bring it down to a level that, you know, we can all understand. And then let's move forward and get a little creative. I think that's a wonderful descriptor. And I think let's just, uh, let's stop right there. You've already used, you know, some really accurate terms that generally, you know, when you look at the worldwide, you know, kind of scope of white wine, uh, you use some very hallmark terms to describe a lot of the great whites uh like i said i have no idea what i'm talking about you know you've used like <laughs> stinky cheese or you know like kind of an autolytic you know kind of potent Whoa, dairy quality what is that that would be uh you know qualities that are relating to to dairy i did you did oh, you said oh, stinky cheese, cheese. Yeah. no i mean yes cheese <laughs> I, guess that's autolytic. It's, I hope you weren't talking about vegan cheese <laughs> uh this tastes like cashews <laughs> yes exactly but um so we've we've got the stinky cheese thing. You've got um, you've mentioned metallic uh, and mercurial. Uh, you've mentioned oysters as well, um, which could kind of you know hint at a certain you a know pairing. Well, it's it's a certainly a pairing, it's a but also pairing it's a sure. classic pairing. But also the you know, oyster shells that kind of that's a certain mineral quality of itself. I've mentioned chalkiness. I mm-hmm. think you know there's certainly a lot of relativity going on between that chalky kind of sensitivity and crushed oyster shells which is a very common descriptor for a lot of wines especially from from champagne or chablis the the dominant taste however is is like a a big bright lemon almost like a meyer lemon mm-hmm. like a sweeter lemon right which again relative term like a 
like a ripe lemon, which still would not be sweet. This is like lemonade for the gods. It is. It, it <laughs> totally is. I mean, in terms of like how refreshing it is, but it's not that lemon that makes your face squint. It's like, okay, wow, this is approachable lemon, but this is not, it's not lemon curd. It's not mm-hmm. it's sweet. It's, like, it's not, it's there's like, no added sugar here. It this has that effect of like when you, you perfectly put, dry wine. Why you, you, you put lemon on a fish, you know? Right. You, you eat the fish and you get like that nice sort of spice mm-hmm. of lemon. Essence of lemon. Yeah, it it bites a little bit, but it doesn't bite to the point where you like pucker. Right. I think this is a beautiful thing about this uh, this wine already is that a lot of time, I mean, almost any white wine, you know, we're going to describe some form of citrus, you know, or at least in a good portion of white wines, um, especially on the kind of medium to lighter bodied scale, citrus is going to be a really common descriptor. Um, here, I think we're on a certain spectrum of citrus and we're on the kind of, we're still in lemon lime territory, mm-hmm. but we're definitely in that kind of, like I said, riper lemon, yeah. you know, more essential kind of, uh, lemon character, which is absolutely delicious. There is certainly, it's not zippy to the point where it's yeah, really biting and puckering. It's just this kind of medium bodied, you know, beauty. Lots of texture in the palate. Definitely, I'd say it's, it's a medium-bodied wine. It it's a it's super drinkable without mm. being boring. Mm-hmm. Like I like I keep going back into this because it, it's interesting. In, well, exactly. In, instead of just like, and I think you know, right off the hop, you know, cracking the bottle. You know, when you're first when you're first kind of descriptor, you're moved to yes, please. You know, mercurial, um, potent, pungent, autolytic character combined with fresh, you know, yet ripe citrus. I mean, you're you're really in like a, you're really at Wrigley Field now. You're really <laughs> you're really playing ball. You know, sure. you're you're ready for some football mm. at this point. And um, yeah, we're really we're I really hope, enjoying. I this. hope you guys are drinking this at the same time. I hope you are too. I re- <laughs> we really do, uh, and that's really the intention. Is hopefully you can. Drink this, you know, if you're by yourself, it's a Friday or Saturday night, whatever you're doing. Well, you're not alone Tuesday now. Night. You're not alone. You're not drinking alone. That's that's kind of the whole point of this talk show. You can drink without anyone in the room, but not be alone. That's right. <laughs> We're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. Billy can Joel. I, uh, yeah, why don't we dive into the label a little bit? All right. As everyone knows, we, we, you know, label is important to us. So talk to me, Goose. So the, <laughs> the front label, pale white, sort of a, a big sort of ink drawing of some vineyards. It is the vineyard. It is the vineyard. Which I think is wonderful. It yeah. all automatically, let's talk, we always talk about information on the uh, labels. I would, I would love to go there. That looks beautiful. It is beautiful. It's like um, in a canyon. I haven't been there myself either. Is that a, does it, it looks like it's in a canyon. Well, that is actually, uh, that is McIntyre Bluff. McIntyre Bluff is kind of the demarcation relatively between what is considered the northern part of the Okanagan Valley and the southern part of the Okanagan Valley. Hmm. Um, and it's just south of McIntyre Bluff, and that part of the valley is called Okanagan Falls. That's Vassal Lake you're looking at. Where's the Blue Mountain? That's a wonderful question. <laughs> I think they're all blue in the distance. Isn't that, isn't that like Tennessee? Or Kentucky, uh, Virginia, I believe. Virginia, the Blue Mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh, I'm thinking also Smoky Mountains. <laughs> the Smoky Mountains. It could be either one. I think yeah. Blue Ridge Mountains. But um, good wine country. We we here. We're excited to hmm. taste some of those wines in the future. 
Um, so above this beautiful little drawing, it just says Blue Mountain Vineyard and Cellars. Okay. So let's stop there for a second. We've got a drawing of the vineyard. So automatically we can have a certain visceral understanding of where this comes from. Even though it's a drawing, it's an accurate drawing. We see the lake, we see the bluff. It gives us a geographical representation of where the winery is. It shows a slope. It shows us that there's an influence of a body of water. And it shows us that it's in a valley. So it, it also just like just it it seems like there would be a ton of sunshine here. Like right. I would love to just sit here. <laughs> and there is a lot of sunshine there. And 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 very little precipitation in the Okanagan Valley. So I mean just by one picture, but by it being an accurate depiction mm-hmm. of where this wine comes from, we now have a sense of place. Mm-hmm. We now can taste that picture. We literally are doing that. So, I mean, even though you, every single... Let's compare it to our last episode. We had a little black and white graphic of this, you know... Just this a kid. child jumping into a... Cannonballing into to water. a lake, you know, without any indication of where the wine came from. California. water. Let's mention that, you know, that wine was from the Appalachian, California. California, if it was on its own, would be the fourth largest wine-producing country in the world. Wow. Behind Italy, France, and Spain. That's not California, even... California is bigger than Italy. Yeah, but isn't it? It's also more populated. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not more populated, but it's uh, less planted of vines, certainly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Italy's pretty much a big vineyard. That'd be interesting. I, I'd love to see what like the the percentage of land devoted to growing grapes is for like Italy. This France, is all attainable. California. This is all attainable information. Mm. That would be an interesting show if we We're, just talk about that. We'll revisit that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Stay focused, please. Oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. Um, it's okay. It's okay. It's things I things that. So things the, that I look out for on the label below the drawing, it says Sauvignon Blanc, 2016. Hold on. Let's back up. What? Let's go back to the top. We got the drawing. Blue okay, Mountain label. Vineyard and cellars. Oh, that's very important information. Okay. Why? Because that is literally what this winery is it, it it is a vineyard blue mountain is a vineyard it is a single vineyard it's about 70 80 odd acres at one site hmm. very like important all together all together it's several vineyards um but it's basically one big property that represents one you know sub region or microclimate one area of the valley so we are real truly getting a sense of terroir you know which is basically the combination of all factors, soil type, aspect, slope, aspect, climate, aspect. Yeah. So like where the vineyard's facing, it's kind of its slope. Oh, like the like grade? The, the grade um, and also the direction it's facing. Hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Southern, northern facing. Correct. Yeah. So it's a combination of all those factors. Right. You know. Just go through those factors. What, like, so terroir to... would be like, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to. to what, what's the It's word? a French term. Um, Is it like terra? Like terra? Earth, right? Earth. So terroir. I mean, okay. the earth is the war, is the root. But now it's easy. A lot of people kind of um, like to use the word terroir to kind of describe. They say, "Oh, well, the terroir is uh, you know s- these jagged stones or granite, granitic rocks." Well, that's only part of terroir. Terroir is really a total picture. Terroir is kind of all of the combination of factors that represent the place in which a wine is grown. Okay, so everything about where the vines are. Exactly. Okay. That includes the weather, the climate, mm-hmm. the soil, the slope, you know, influencing bodies of water. The list goes on. Um, anything geographical about where the wine is grown. Okay. It's terroir. 
So on the bottom, if I may proceed. So hold on, no, 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 we're not done yet. <laughs> you, you stay with me, doctor. Blue Mountain, the name of the property, the name of these, this vineyard, and their cellars. So where they make and keep the wine, where the wine is made and and kept. So you're saying that th- these people are proudly displaying the fact that they're proudly displaying the facts. The, the facts about the wine. Where it Major comes distinction. From. Not every winery can say they are a vineyard. Oh. I mean, Blue Mountain, is. It, they can say this. This is accurate because, and it's important that a lot of consumers out there, we say, oh, well, I've been to the vineyard. Well, it's like, actually, you know what? For most wineries in North America, where you go to that tasting room, that's not where the vineyard is. That's not where, that's not where the vineyards are that made that wine. That's actually very rare. It happens a lot. Even if there's grapes growing like outside the window? That doesn't mean the, all the wines you tasted in that showroom came from that vineyard. What? Right? Huh. But, you know, I think consumeristically, the words vineyard and winery are interchangeable, are used interchangeably. And, and that's inc- kind of a incorrectly. mistake? It's a oh, okay. big mistake. I didn't know that. A vineyard is where things are grown. A winery is where things are made. Huh. Interesting. And like I said, you know, throughout throughout the world, I mean, it's very very common that you know grapes are brought to a winery from all over the place. It can even be other countries sometimes. You know, a winery is a place where you make wine. A vineyard is a place where you grow wine. Blue Mountain is one of those places where they grow and make wine in that location on that property, which is really cool, really special. Yeah, really cool. Um, so like I said. Just that information alone, and we're looking at what can we derive about the wine from the label. We've derived a sense of place via the picture, and we understand now that Blue Mountain is a site, and the wine is made on site, and it's kept on site, it's stored on site, it's made on site, and it's a vineyard. It is legitimately a vineyard, the Blue Mountain Vineyard property. Hmm. There we go. Let's carry on. What else is on the label? So below the drawing, it says Sauvignon Blanc, 2016. The varietal and the no, vintage. No surprises there. Okay, excellent. And it says Okanagan Valley, estate bottled. Yes, estate bottled. Um, the wine is made on site, as we mentioned. Okanagan Valley, the Appalachian, where it comes from. Um, they could be more specific about that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that they aren't on the front label. Um but I think they elaborate on the back, and there might be some restri- there may be some restrictions as far as what they can, what they can. Although they don't, they're not part of um, they're not a VQA winery. What's VQA? Uh, it's a Canadian institution called the Vintners Quality Alliance, which basically is a panel of you know individuals that provide a designation uh, to wines that apply for it to uh, to certify that you know a hundred percent of the wine was a either grown in Canada or British Columbia or whatever appellation, however specific they can get. And you can't get that specific in the Okanagan just yet. There's not an official appellation system. But Blue Mountain has never been VQA. They do not participate in the VQA system. Um, and you know VQA can kind of indicate a level of quality, but um, you know there's some producers that have just simply not bought into the system and uh, they make their own rules, and they are very, very caring and fastidious and detailed and um, <coughs> function with a high quality. They, you know, okay. There's a lot producers. of information on the back. Of Perfect. This Why don't we get into it? 
I mean, at the top, it you know, it kind of regurgitates information. Blue Mountain Vineyard and Cellars Sauvignon Blanc. Let's read it. Okanagan Valley, 2016. And then it gets into a couple of paragraphs. Let's read it out. Blue Mountain is a family-run vineyard and winery located in the picturesque South Okanagan Valley, overlooking Vasu Lake. Vasu Lake. Vasu yeah. Lake. The Mavity family has farmed this fertile bench since 1971 and founded the winery in 1991 with a commitment to sustainable viniculture. Viticulture. Oh, I didn't see the T. It's okay. (laughs) Viticulture practices using exclusively estate-grown grapes. That's really nice to to read. Do you know what that means? Well, Estate-grown grapes? All the grapes that are in the wine were grown on the property, right? That's correct. That's their estate. Estate means that it is owned essentially is owned by and the grapes are owned and controlled by the owners of the winery as well. Okay, let's see here. Blue Mountain strives to produce complex, age-worthy wines, consistent in style, while allowing the expression of both the terroir and the individual season. The Sauvignon Blanc was harvested from our high-density vineyard, the first of its kind in the Okanagan. The Sauvignon Blanc is 75% fermented and aged in stainless steel, and the remaining 25% fermented and aged in two to four-year-old French oak barrels for five months. Mm -hmm. Grown, produced, and bottled by Blue Mountain Vineyards and Cellars Limited, Okanagan Falls, British Columbia... Uh, zip code, telephone number, perfect <laughs> information, website, and then it's uh, all right. We have eleven point five percent alcohol by volume. Nice, nice and low. Okay, there's a few <clears throat> things that I didn't understand in here, but I'm gonna say that these people are not hiding anything. They're hiding. You know, they're. I agree with you. They're really not hiding. Anything. They're doing the opposite of hiding. They're like, we're proud of what we've done. Mm-hmm. Here's what we did. Enjoy. I think they are providing as much relevance and literally informative information as a producer, any producer, can be expected to. All right, I have one quick like question right off. Let's the, see what we can right do. Off the bat. High density vineyard, the first of its kind in the Okanagan. High density vineyard. Uh, they just planting the vines closer together. That's what I understand. Okay. I'm really not a, your guy to answer the question. Sorry, folks. Um, but let's Google High Density Vineyard because we can. And we're in the age of Dr. Google. High Density Vineyard. High Density Vineyard planting. Mm-hmm. Here we go. The most common the most common is a density of between 3,000 and 6,000 plants per hectare. The greater the distance between the rows, the higher the vines. Uh, this is an interesting. This is... Uh, higher the vines what? Just says the higher the vines, very interesting. Huh. With the same yield, you will have half as many grapes on each vine if you have 10,000 plants per hectare compared to if you have 5,000. Is this in English? Doesn't that mean you just get the same amount of fruit? Let's see if we can find something that makes a little more sense. Okay. Okay. The density of a vineyard can vary between fifteen hundred and ten thousand vines per hectare. That's uh, this, a we're huge talking about, we're difference. talking about uh, I think Bordeaux here. Um, okay. Some parts of Bordeaux, Champagne, Burgundy 
have a density of 8,000 to 11,000 vines per hectare. That would be what I would consider high density. Is that um, high density for the Okanagan, though? Because it says it's the first of its kind in, in the Okanagan. So, okay, let's... Uh, they're essentially just planting a lot more vines yes, closer together. I actually was speaking. Usual. I was actually speaking with Christy Mavidi about this recently, but we didn't get too deep into it, and I, I'm not really. Uh, I mean, well versed. No, even if you look at the uh, the drawing on the front, does does that look does that look like normally spaced like a normally spaced vineyard to you, or does that look a little bit more claustrophobic? I wouldn't think twice about looking at that vineyard really and i don't know what block that is and i i don't believe that is uh i don't the, these vines aren't terribly old the, the label's been the same for a long time i don't believe mm-hmm. that would be a representation of these vines okay. so and no it, it does not look strange to me at all mm-hmm. looks pretty you know i wouldn't bet an eyelash i don't think any anybody would um well hmm. regardless blue mountain isn't hiding what they're trying to do with regards to how correct. they grow their grapes correct even if we're not sure what it means. So yeah, with the same yield, you'll have half as many grapes on each vine if you have 10,000 plants per hectare compared to if you have 5,000. Hmm. So you get smaller, more concentrated grapes that have to vie, more, have to vie, have to strive a little bit harder. Well, they're all for going the for the same resources. Correct. Right? So you know, basically what you do is you, you end up, you're ending up with you know, vines that are a little more stressed little and more grapes are a little more smaller. Little grapes that are a little smaller, so you end up getting more concentrated flavors, more concentrated fruit. Mm-hmm. I think is the is the uh, is the net effect um, that they're going for. Um, yeah, but really, I think you know success here, and it's interesting with Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it's not always the most characterful grape varietal, um, but I think they really bring a lot of this, a lot of character out of it here. Right. And you know, that could be that could have something to do with the way it's planted. Which is an interesting, you know, concept. We're, um, you know, that we're learning about, as you are. Um, do you think? Do you think some of that could come from the, you know, they fermented three quarters of it in stainless steel, and then the other twenty-five? They're absolutely, absolutely. Oak. I mean, absolutely. Generally, when you're, you know, fermenting in oak, you're introducing a little more oxygen uh, to the wine, so you're allowing that wine to kind of develop, you know, new characters, which come via, you know, some oxidation. Is Generally, that- makes the wine a little bit richer. Is that because wood is porous and like air gets correct. through it? Correct. It's okay. correct. It's absolutely correct. Um, you you know they're two to four year old barrels, uh, so you're not getting a ton of oak character from you know seasoned barrels in that small of a portion for only four or five months. I think. Excuse me. They say five months. Wait, wait five when, months. When they say aged in two to four year old French oak barrels, does that mean that the barrels have already been used? Correct. That's exactly correct. So if they're if it's a two year old barrel. Uh, that means that uh, it's the second or third use, depending on how they their language. So th- this is kind of like what bourbon producers do with their barrels. They send them to like Scotland. Is that and, what they do? Yeah, a lot of scotch is is aged. Most scotch is aged in in or, like one time use bourbon barrels. Whereas like bourbon, for example, to be legally called bourbon in the states, it has to be aged in brand new white American oak mm. with some kind of char. Got you. And so. Bourbon producers will age their their whiskey in these barrels, and then they'll ship them to Scotland. And okay. Scotland, the the way that I always like to think and explain um, barrel use with regards to whiskey is like if you think about like chewing gum, you like pop it in your mouth, and you get a lot of flavor for like thirty seconds. Yeah. 
and then that that flavor tapers off super quick mm-hmm. after that, and then you you can only like just faintly taste it. That's a wonderful analogy for oak usage. So so like bourbon gets gets like a lot of the the characteristics of that wood that that American oak really really it, it you know it gets the first taste of the gum, so that's why that's why bourbon is so much sort of thicker and sweeter and has a lot more honey and caramel and. And you know, not near you know some you know vanilla, a, a, vanilla, a lot of nuttiness, and that's why Scotch. You know, they 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 put a lot more emphasis in terms of like the type of water that they use and the peat that they use. It's because the barrels that they're using to age it have already sort of gotten a lot of the flavor sucked out of them because mm-hmm. they were used with bur- you know in in bourbon. Country. Very similar, you know, techniques. You know, we're talking about here. Um, you know, we're definitely using it more. You're using oak more as a uh, as an element for, um, let's say, finesse than for overt flavor addition. Yeah, and they're only doing twenty five percent in correct. In the so oak what you're here. doing is this is I think you know if we're gonna talk about any kind of riper flavors, um, you know, this wine is only eleven and a half percent alcohol. It's quite quite low. Uh, which is really nice. means you can drink a little bit more and not worry about uh, getting so tipsy, which is a nice thing. But um, also speaks to um, speaks to the area. Mm-hmm. I mean, 11.5% for a dry wine. Uh, we really like that. That's really, really a nice, you know, I picture a nice long, long-ish growing season where the, you know, fruit achieves, you know, a really appropriate maturity. Um, the sugar levels weren't too high, but there was also good phenolic ripeness. This wine, you know, tastes fully ripe, has Did plenty you say of character. Phenolic ripeness. Phenolic ripeness. What's phenolic mean? Uh, phenols. So we're talking about, you know, how green the pips are in the grape in the the grape pip? seeds. Pip. I, you are just throwing so many yeah. freaking words around. Yeah. What is a pip? That's the little <laughs> seed. The little the little seeds in the grapes. Oh, pips. You call them pips? You can. Huh. Yeah. Um, phenolic the, also the seeds like bitter. Well, yeah, and they're going to be more bitter the less ripe they are. Now that's what we're talking about phenolic ripeness. Oh, uh-huh. so wait, there, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> there's bitterness. What's, what's phenol mean again? Phenolic ripeness is just the word that you use for, you know, describing this how how ripe the stalks are, how ripe the pips are. Wait, can we can we Google phenol? Go ahead. I, I just want to know what phenol phenolic means. Phenolic. Is it like pheromone? <laughs> I don't Phenolic think so. <laughs> ripeness. <clears throat> Phenolic ripeness, also referred to as physiological ripeness, refers to the changes in the tannins that occur in the grape skins, seeds, and stems. Okay. Well, what sugar it? ripeness refers to the breakdown of acids and accumulation of sugars. So literally, the ripeness of like as I, men- as I mentioned. I mentioned the pips and this and the stalks of the stems. And that's where that's where most of the tannins in wine comes from. Well, tannins you'll find tannin in wood, you'll find tannin in grape skins, you'll find tannin in grape seeds and in grape stems. So which is basically so, wood. So you're not going to get tannin from the actual juice. No. That's where like sugar and acid comes that's from. That's correct. That's why this wine doesn't really have any notable tannins in it. That's why most white wines do not have any visible tannin okay yeah that's something that we didn't even touch on i didn't even notice you wouldn't mention it in white wine it's generally not even brought up there's the odd orange wine that's kind of developed that you know is aged on the skins for a long time what 
What's orange wine? Just, just you just chill out over there. <laughs> You're throwing out way too much stuff that I haven't heard before. That's good. You're gonna learn something. You can Google this in your spare time. Um, no. <laughs> we got to stay focused here. Um, we're drinking the 2016 Blue Mountain Sauvignon Blanc from Okanagan Falls in the Okanagan Valley, British Columbia. We're very much enjoying it. We put a little orange juice in it. Would it be an orange wine? I'll let you answer that one for yourself. <laughs> it would be a flat mimosa. Is what it would be. Hmm. Oh man, I really like this wine. For some, you know, I I have drank drunk. I have imbibed very little white wine because usually it makes me ill. But I think staying away from it for a few years has allowed a. I don't know. It's going well. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the sound of us popping a Castle Vitrano olive. And um, we just happen to have these in the fridge. So we're going to test it out a little bit, see how it goes. Why? Why not? <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, if you the, have the, pickles in the fridge, if you have Castle Vitrano olives, if you there's have... There's also a Grenache cake in the fridge. <laughs> potato chips, exactly. But um, this is kind of a briny, you know, dry... Dry in the sense that it's not sweet food, um, with a reasonably high acid level, and we want to see how this uh, this wine responds to a, you know, a little antipasto. This is similar to the trick that you played on me with um, the Vouvray. Mm-hmm. I thought the Vouvray was an acid bomb, and then you gave me some mustard, and then after the mustard, it was it was gorgeous. Right. Like before I felt like I was like trying to eat a lemon, like pith. Well, you skin felt that in everything. Yes, but you know, we all right, we talked about it in that episode, yeah. but like once I had the mustard, it was like it was like putting glasses on, you know, someone with terrible vision. Like right. Suddenly I could see the wine, understand it. Correct. So, you know, we haven't really discussed the acid level in this wine, which we should. Uh let's do a little analysis on the acid. So, I think I mentioned before, but you know, for acid, you know, just to reiterate, I get a nice big healthy mouthful of the wine. I swish it around all over the place like it's mouthwash. Um, you know, if you're tasting, if you're into tasting, you can spit it, or you know, for me here, I'm gonna swallow it, and then I'm gonna let my, uh, I'm gonna kind of tip my head down to the ground, facing the ground, and I'm gonna let my lower lip just hang and see how much I'm drooling. It's really a, quite a sight to see, actually. And the more I salivate, the higher the acid of the wine. Luckily, this is a talk show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I've had um, Sauvignon Blanc that's much more acidic. I'd say the acidity here is, you know, medium. Medium plus. Um, How do you think it conver- compares to the Vouvray we had? Similar. A little bit higher. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe my palate is starting to adjust to... I think I think that's probably part of the case here, Chester. I think oh, definitely... yeah, I've had a lot of Prosecco lately. You have. I've had a lot of reasons to celebrate. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so you're, get, you're getting your palate, you know, kind of acquainted uh, and familiar with, with a little acid so to speak and it does become easier but it's also you know acid's one of those things that 
it's going to be integrated a certain way. And I think what here do you mean by that? I mean, wine is always a it's combination. Going to be integrated a certain way. It's going to be. It can be integrated, or it can be kind of you know volatile. I'm lost. Perfect. That means we're going to learn something. Um, I think you know, and this is very interesting. So much of, excuse me, um, so much of, about how we experience wine is, you know, based on as we mentioned before, our memories. It's based on our kind of database of flavors our database of profiles our memories of what we drank in the past what we've eaten in the past um it's about perception and it's about i think what we're doing here we're having we're having a conversation we're keeping each other company hopefully we're keeping a few other drinkers company who are interested in having these conversations as well (laughs) but you know comparing perception is really where we come to have a common experience of something mm, comparing or an uncommon that, or that, an uncommon experience. I like that idea, comparing perception. But perception, you know, and, and really, you know, we, we can scientifically measure the total acidity in a wine. It can be done. And a lot of some producers, if you find a product profile, will show what the total acidity is. Um, but it's perceived acidity in the end, which is a factor you know, it's literally that. It's it is how is the acidity perceived in the wine itself? Well, it depends on the person. Like the Vouvray. It depends. Was... On, hold on. It depends on the person, but it also depends on how much sugar is in the wine. It depends on if the wine has been exposed to oak treatment, uh, if any is new oak, because that's going to impact you know the flavors and the perceived sweetness in the wine potentially. Um, it depends on how full-bodied or how light-bodied the wine is. It depends on how much skin contact or tannin there is. There's many, many factors that will impact your palate's ability to perceive not just acidity, but also sweetness and tannin and, you know, size. Hmm. So in addition, before we get into our individual perception, which is fine and important, um, it's also the easy way to go. I mean, everybody... I just want—I want to make sure we steer clear of saying, "Oh, well, it's all about perception." Because no, I didn't—I didn't mean to say that. But no. it's like not only is it about individual perception, but there's so many factors that are going to be at play, and then you have individual perception. Like, it, right? I think this is, you know, which is why I cut you off. I'm sorry. I, I no, apologize no, 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 for no, that, no. but it's an important point, and it—I think it adds to the what I was trying to sort of get at, which is that, oh gosh, the, the, the talk around wine is, can be so convoluted and so, well, I guess a little pretentious for sure, but it, you know, it, it's hard to break into, it's hard to kind of follow. And I think it has to do with the fact that not only do you have individual perception, but you have all of these factors that are going to be at play and they're going to, they're going to jive with people's, per, you know, different people's perse- perspectives in different ways on top of the fact that they're, you know, they're coming from, from like what were you saying earlier, like with the Vouvray, for example, I'd had very few white wines. And then finally sort of diving into the, into the white wine world, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't like this at all. This is like sucking on a lemon hmm. in a bad way. 
Whereas you were like, oh, then, you know, this is like medium, medium, maybe low acidity. Pretty fleshy. And I, and I was like, what? Right. And since then, you've been sucking on all sorts of rosé and Prosecco and well, God knows what. There's been certain influences, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> Got to take responsibility, um, which is phenomenal. I no, you know, I was I actually it was part of, <laughs> that was part of my decision. It was like, all right, right. I, you know, like, okay, there's a rosé here. You influence I yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I want to I wanna be a little bit more... Um, I'm trying to change my perception mm-hmm. so that I can get a little bit more into I want to be able to enjoy whatever is in front of me. And, and listen, I could not enjoy that Vouvray until you gave me a, a cracker full of mustard. But Chester, what a wonderful what a wonderful perspective to have and I I have to applaud you for that. And I think that's really at the heart of you know why why you and I are sitting here and having this conversation is because you know, I think the most important thing to anyone who's learning about wine, this certainly goes for me, and I'm learning every day. I, I obviously, I'm very comfortable with my lack of knowledge. Um, on top of whatever knowledge I do have, it's the combination of those things that make wine an interesting thing to experience. But really, at the heart of it all is, you know, not just deciding what you enjoy, why you enjoy it, not finding. The thing you enjoy the most, but you know, seeking to understand whatever it is that you're presented with. Hmm. And I think that there's a lot of joy in that as well. Yeah, you know, I find that a lot of people really cling to their sort of instinctual, like first impression of something, and they're like, they taste it, and they're like, "Oh, I don't like this." It's right. Like, which is well, very frustrating. For you or for them? Well, I think it's it's frustrating, obviously, for me. It's frustrating for me um, as somebody who works in, in the industry, as someone who's a professional in the in the wine world, but also it's frustrating. Um, it's frustrating for me sometimes as a just as a person who's dining with uh, with someone. You know, let's say we go to let's say let's say you're that person who's clinging to your first impressions and limited in your scope. Let's say we go for dinner and you bought you order a bottle of Vouvray and I haven't had white wine. Let's in say like I two don't years. let's <laughs> say I don't order wine. Let's say, you know, let's say the sommelier comes over and it says, "Hey, you guys are you guys both ordered the uh, you know, the scallop crudo. Um, we have this really funky wine from XYZ region which is done this way and it's this back vintage and it's this price and this and the other thing and this is really unbelievable to have with a scallop crudo but maybe you say oh well ah guess what i i don't i don't like that kind of wine yeah i like coca-cola right (laughs) exactly right so so you see how frustrating that is not just for it's frustrating for you in a way that you don't even realize because you're just missing out that's a that's that's a key point right there where people are Cutting themselves short. They're selling you know, they're themselves cu- short. They're cutting cutting their themselves short. off from an experience before even having it. And the irony is they really have no idea what they're about to experience. So and it's because they're not open to the experience. Do you think this is a phenomenon where like people are afraid to be, be observed not knowing something? 
I'm not sure. I haven't figured this out yet. If I could, if you can figure this out, like we need to package it and sell it on eBay. It it reminds me of an experience. <laughs> it reminds me of an experience I had a, a couple years ago. I was working at the Four Seasons. This was before before you came on. Yeah, hey, I worked there too. <laughs> <laughs> and before um, I came on board and flooded the bar. Yeah, I, I remember it was late at night, and I had like a I had an older, you know gentleman i think he was in construction or something he was drinking like jack and so Cokes or something yeah he was a he was salt of the earth good people and then i had like this big group of like younger obviously wealthy sort of kids come in obviously you know they were of drinking age but mm-hmm. to, to this guy they were kids and mm-hmm. and um you know they all ordered something real quick except this one guy he was like oh can i you know can i taste this wine and and I poured him a little taste, and he took like a full ninety seconds, like just slowly tasting a you know a small like three quarter, three quarters of an ounce or an ounce of wine, and he he sipped he sipped the whole thing very slowly, okay, and like obviously took his time like paying attention to what was going on with regards to like actually tasting it, and you know I was waiting there the whole time. And then finally he was like, yeah, I, I would love a glass of this. Okay. And so I poured it. And I, you know, when I went over to the other gentleman who I mentioned, I think he was, I think he was drinking Jack and Coke. It might've been Jack and Rye or uh, Coke and Rye or something. Anyways, he was like, oh, don't you Whiskey hate that? He was like, oh, don't, don't you hate that when they take forever to decide? And I said, you know what? That was actually really refreshing because most people don't think twice when it comes to what they're about to experience. They just default to whatever they've had before, and they don't give a shit about exploring something new and something that could possibly be different, maybe uncomfortable for your palate, but if you have a sense of curiosity, it could be something interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I actually really respected this guy. Look how young he is. like, And he's already, like, he's already at a point where, like, He'll take an ounce of a new, like, alien foreign wine that he's never tried before and actually think about it as he experiences it and be like, oh, like, what are the... I mean, I don't know what it was going on in his head, but obviously something was going on in his head. This is an interesting. See, I feel like uh, if I can interject oh, please. my own experience here, I feel like a combination of those two people. Uh, what? I feel like a combination of the old man drinking the whiskey and rye and Jack and Coke, whatever he's drinking, and the young guy. On on one hand, I think to myself, you know, yes, that is fantastic that someone is actually considering their experience. That's wonderful. And I would never criticize anybody for that. On the other hand, order the fucking glass. <laughs> like, like, just, you know what? If you're curious, go ahead and do it. And you know what? Commit to it. Just like say, hey, guess what? I'm not going to decide whether I think I can handle a glass of this. I'm just going to order it, and I'm going to get through a glass. Because, you know what, I'll tell you what. Hmm. One ounce of something is not enough. You don't understand by the time, like, if you think about it this way. Like, let's just pretend you didn't like broccoli as a kid. It's the classic thing. Reintroduce it. If you keep reintroducing something. Squash. uh, Drake. I hate it. (laughs) Drake. I hated squash as a kid. But I forced myself to keep trying it like every like two years. You're a special person. I mean, today was the first day of my life, you know, in 
the 10 years or however long it's been since I've been aware of Drake. Since Degrassi. Since Degrassi. <laughs> I actually downloaded two Drake songs today and I listened to them on repeat. I have never been a fan of Drake. But I've, you know what, whatever it is, it's, you know what, I've been listening to the radio lately. It's like, if something keeps being reintroduced to you, whether you want it or not, you find a way to get comfortable with it. And you actually start liking it because it's familiar to you. And so is, is that a thing though? Like, is it just familiarity? I be, I mean, it depends how open you are. I mean, I think, you know, for, like for, for me, here's, familiarity I has guess, kind of a negative term. And I guess my point is this is like, now maybe, maybe I'm less discerning than this gentleman was this young gentleman who's, you know, carefully, you know, deciding, you know, his fate of, of the one ounce of wine, if he can handle a whole glass of it, you know, I mean, maybe he has a very precious, you know, let's... Um, maybe, maybe he was just trying to f- decide if it was right for the moment. Like, he was with, like, five, ten other people, and maybe he's like, you know, I want to I want to taste a certain thing while I'm in this circumstance, you know? Well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here, for sure. I'm definitely going to, because it was clear that he was he was being thoughtful, and I have... I have I in, think I have in, infinite respect for that. I will privilege thoughtfulness. Will privilege privilege thoughtfulness over recklessness and over hurrying the hell up. I think my point here is that we're just defaulting to your usual. I think it's a lot better than defaulting to the usual. I guess, you know, the goal here and what I would love to see more people do is that it's kind of like that scale of unconscious incompetence conscious incompetence this is like learning conscious competence and unconscious competence okay explain that a little bit because you just use like the same okay. two words in like four different ways correct um <laughs> let's relate this to drinking so let's say mr jack and rye coke and whiskey with ginger and whatever he's having let's say he's unconscious incompetence he's drinking a shitty cocktail and he has no idea how bad it really is are you with me doctor I, the patient is on the on the table on the operating table. <laughs> <laughs> You're with me. Uh, let's Doctor Wu is in the house. Okay, let's let's take let's take that guy a step further. We have conscious incompetence. He likes Jack and Coke, but he knows it's a stupid cocktail. He knows it's not a cocktail. He knows he's not really. He knows Coke is not something that's really worth tasting over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he's obscuring the flavor of whatever alcohol might be in there that might actually be worth tasting. This is like newbie bartenders who I have to train who have come from like a like a shitty, you know, poor beer and like high like regular highballs, and then they suddenly get to a cocktail bar and like within a week they're like, Whoa, there's a lot that I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. So let's say this gentleman, I think he would, you know, fall on the in the category of conscious competence, he knows he can be open to new flavors. He knows he can be open to new interesting experiences, but he's not confident the, the enough. The Coke and Rye guy? No. Like, it was now we're, well, after the Coke and Rye guy, the Coke and Rye guy doesn't, the Coke and Rye guy does not progress past unconscious, or pardon me, conscious incompetence. He's, he's done there. Because if he, if he becomes competent, now he's able to experience new things. Okay. So the, the competence in this context is experiencing new things, having new experiences, understanding new things, you know, seeking to understand beyond simply so, wait, so wouldn't your he be on enjoyment. In, like so this, ge- this, young, this young gentleman here. The wine taster. The wine taster. I would say he would be consciously competent. 
He's yes. he's competent in the sense that he knows he and he has he knows that he should be you know interested in experiencing new things and seeking to understand new things, but he's not able to just recklessly and automatically commit hmm. to doing so. He still has a reservation. He still is worried about his own enjoyment as a primary influence on what he's going to drink, what he's going to order. This reminds me of our our second job that we have as headhunters for uh, Dunning Kruger. Yes, limited. Could you go a step further on that, <laughs> Chester? Well, let's let the listeners in on a little secret about our lives. Obviously, we try to find the the best, the most talented, the exceptional, those who rise above the herd. Right. For this company that we we work for, Dunning Kruger Limited. All right. Obviously, this is a joke. Uh, Dunning-Kruger effect is like a psychological phenomenon where you think you're really good at something, but you actually suck at it. Uh, right. Just go to any karaoke bar. Unconscious and incompetence. 95%, unless it's a small town. If it's a small town, the karaoke scene is probably going to be on point. But if you go like downtown to any big city, the karaoke bars are going to have 99% examples of Dunning-Kruger where you just you don't realize how bad you are a marvelous firm though and that's for (laughs) that's unconscious incompetence that's where you're incompetent at something and you don't even realize how bad you are this is drinking Jack and Coke (sighs) unfortunately yes I agree with you yes yeah there's just too much sugar in Coke it it's like it's like pouring tar over a flower and expecting it to bloom. Coke is a balanced, one-dimensional beverage. It's sugar and acid. That's a really interesting balanced and one-dimensional. It's like a line, a straight line. <laughs> yeah, from here to diabetes. <laughs> oh, that's too true. This is exactly what it is. If that sounds weird or a surprise to anyone, it's like it is. <laughs> it's not a surprise. Well, it, it the, the sad thing is that it is a surprise. It would be a surprise to some people, <laughs> and that's the whole point of Dunning Kruger. <laughs> Pretty much. Now we're getting into like nutritional Dunning Kruger. So let's bring let's bring this back. Yeah, let's let's, let's talk back. about okay. How does um okay? We we got off on this tangent because I mentioned something about like. How do I enjoy what's in front of me? Even yes. if my first reaction is wonderful. And we're talking about, you know, my colleague, my wonderful dear colleague Chester, uh, kind of, you know, coming to terms with white wine in general. Yep, for the longest Starting to drink it. For the longest time it it made me quite sick and I seem to be having much better luck after having a few years of like I'm not going to drink white wine because it makes me sick. Right, he was man, 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 he was man, man. Potentially consciously incompetent, but just, of enjoying it. But just like squash as a, I hated squash as a kid. But I, I for whatever reason, I think it was curiosity about whether something about me that I didn't have full cognition over had, like, just wondering if it had changed. Like, you know, if you think about it, it was like, do you have a conscious understanding of what your occipital occipital lobe in your brain is doing right now? Like, no, of course you don't. You can't feel any parts of your brain. So Nobody you knows what that is anyway. It's, the, it's in the back. 
you know, the, the, the back. back. It's the back. It, it like processes all, everything you see. Okay. <laughs> Visual cortex. How about that? We're gonna accept that. But like, do you have? Do you like a? Can you feel like what's going on there? Like of sometimes, not. if you have a stomach ache, you're like, all right, I can kind of locate my stomach right. and my guts, and that hurts. But like after fifteen, jab there's just pokes. there's so much about like the human body that we don't have a conscious like rendering of what's going on. That's a, absolutely correct. You know, most of the time you don't even realize that you're breathing. Most of the time you don't even register that the fact that your your, your heart is beating, even though if you like slow down, you can actually feel it and, mm-hmm. and almost hear it. But that takes some thoughtful... Okay, my, my, my point is like, I kept trying the squash <laughs> because I wondered if something about me had changed that I didn't realize had changed. And then finally, you know, when I was older, I was like, oh, if you just pour a whole bunch of butter and salt on it, it's delicious. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So the same thing with white wine. It's like one part part of the reason why I wanted to do this talk show with you, Stephen Lane, is because I wanted to do the same thing with white wine that I'd done with squash. And it's like, I want to be able to enjoy this. In, in its best context. There's so many people that enjoy this. Like, I thank God we're not drinking beer because I hate beer. That's going to be the next talk show. <laughs> no. My, my no. bitch and beer talk show. No. <laughs> my bitch and beer talk show. Chester's going to be amongst the converted. Oh, God. Oh. You know, beer, beer raises your estrogen levels as a man. Are we enological evangelists? Enolo- what is enological? You're using so many bloody words today that I don't even know. Enological is just like winological. Oh, okay. Well, well. Hmm. Thank you, Mister Sescopedalian. <laughs> Much appreciated. Okay, so the whole point is, how can I enjoy what's in front of me? Wonderful question. To and be th- it doesn't just apply to wine. Like if you think about. Oh God! Dinner well, with dinner with your in-laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, how, how many people go into that experience being like, well, "How can I enjoy this?" I actually have a good idea. So, this is actually one great application for any of the wines that we review on this show, because those wines can make the experience of your in-laws infinitely easier to deal with. But, you know, this is kind of like my guidelines for first dates. What are your guidelines for a first date? I I have a, f- a couple. I'm not going to reveal them all, but one of them Let's is have one. I have to. I have. We have. We. <laughs> I. You and your date. We. Yes. Or you we, and I. <laughs> no, no. Me and my date have to be doing. You, I'm usually present on Chester's first dates. <laughs> In spirit, as a chaperone, he, he lives as a dark angel on my shoulder. I am a fiery angel. Uh, he's way funnier than like the good one. Oh yeah. Rather laugh with the sinners Anyways, than cry with the saints. The, the, the central guideline is I, me, my date and I have to be doing something that's fun, and that I would ha- I would, I would enjoy doing regardless of who I'm with. What a wonderful marker! So, like, coffee dates. Like, I love coffee, but uh, no, no. Like just a dinner date, like I don't want to. Come on, let's go ice skating. Let's. I'll take you sailing. Let's go for a hike because then you get to actually like see someone actually like 
either enjoy something and get into it. Maybe it's out of their, you know, their usual realm of like doing like everyone's had dinner. Everyone's had coffee. Like everyone acts this like pretty much the same in those. We ask, well, ask it's, the same it's dumb questions. It's like, it's like it's there is an interesting uh, kind of expectation in these situations. I, I personally sometimes for me and this might not this, this is going to paint me as me. So I'm just going to go ahead. Um, I I kind of like the dinner dates because I really like dining. And I really like this open-minded quality of discovery. Well, like yeah. To, it, now, so, like, for me, it's... And I'm, I'm not really... At this point in my life, I'm not, I'm not really fucking around, like, too much. It's like, if I'm going to go out with someone, like, I want to know the real thing about you. I want to I find out if, like, do we work or do we don't? All right, John Mayer. Do we don't. <laughs> Do we don't? Do we don't? This is more. This is like Backstreet Boys grammar. <laughs> you, you do we work or are. do we not? You just spat out a John Mayer lyric. No, I mean it's, it's the whole damn thing is for me, John Mayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is, is like you know, dinner can be that vetting process too. You want to see if someone can discover how open-minded somebody is. Going for a good dinner is great. Okay, but, f- fair enough. But I, I was pairing that, that, dinner that, with like going out like, for coffee, so I right. wasn't thinking about like a a dinner where you could actually like, oh, this is interesting food that we can actually think about. But this is apply because if you go with somebody and they start making modifications to the menu and start being high maintenance as a guest, well, it's over. It's yeah, over. Yeah, but you you gotta fucking. You that's a good. That's a good just, way to find out. You could. You can't just stand up and walk out though. You know. You actually could. I mean, you could, but th- that way they'd have to pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! They'd but have to suffer for their for their sins. Yeah, but like, if 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 you're dining with someone and within the first five to ten minutes you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore, and you walk out, you know the server is gonna is gonna pay for that in like a negative way because this you could it, pay the server and pay for whatever you've ordered tip the server well which you always should do thank you very much ladies and gentlemen yes, tip your servers absolutely. tip your hospitality people even your if bartenders you, even if they suck on. just tip them don't be an asshole oh man i've got a great story from south africa that i'd love to put in here super quick let's let's hear super it super quick all right i was in south africa i was traveling alone you know Kruger Park. I wanted to see some lions. You know, Dunning Kruger Park. <laughs> it was because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was in this tiny little Fiat, and I, you know, it was it was um, it was it was called Musk. So elephants they go into this period called Musk, and that's when the all the males their testosterone levels at a certain point in the year get jacked up to seven times its normal. They literally bleed testosterone out of like the sides of their face. And you can see these, like, it looks like sweat running down the sides of their face, but it's actually testosterone. And so all they want to do is fight and fuck. And they're just perpetually angry or horny. And I pulled up in my little red Fiat next to this huge bull elephant who was just, like, off the side eating. He he did not like that. You know, of course, my hands are full with this giant Nikon camera I have, and I'm taking pictures of him. And I'm like, oh, this is great. He charges me. Luckily, my father grilled me on how to use a stick shift, and I just floored it in reverse. He chased me for a kilometer. An elephant? An elephant! This isn't even the story. That's so, terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. And when I got to the next base camp, I or, or, or Camp Satara, I saw all these like uh, 
photocopied pictures of elephants forklifting cars and tossing them with people inside that. Elephants, I was like, I was the like, original forklift. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm almost died there. Could you get elephant forklift certification? <laughs> Maybe in India. You could ride an elephant and use it as a forklift? That'd be interesting to see rolling down the, the street. That's exactly what happens in I work India. In a, I work in a shop. Where when I was in India, I was like driving down the you know the side of the road and on my motorcycle, my little infield, big infield, and like I'd pass an elephant and like that's being used as like a work animal. It was amazing. I work in a shop where we have a forklift, but only like the two guys can have can use the forklift. You know, it's like imagine if you had an elephant as your forklift. I mean, it's kind of cruel. I mean, maybe. Anyways, I was down in South Africa, and I was with these two German girls. Later, we were in we were in Cape Town. Oh yeah. We we decided to have like a last meal at this beautiful like beachside restaurant. Nice. And our server comes over, and he is he's he's just like trying to rush the girls. He's trying to rush our orders. He's clearly pissed off. And the German girls, they they get like kind of like all like huffy about it, and like oh, he's being so rude. And they obviously haven't worked in the industry. And I mm-hmm. look, I look around. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy just got sat like f- six tables. Yeah, he's slammed. And like, of course he's miserable." So when he, I was like, "Girls, don't worry, I, I got this." He comes back to the table. I'm like, "If if you are gonna have a shot right now, what would you have? Because that's gonna be my choice." And you know, he's like annoyed by the question because now he has to think. And I'm kind of giggling inside of my own head about this. We'll get through this. <laughs> it's gonna be good. So eventually, he tells me. I think it was it was a certain type of tequila, and I was like, "I'm gonna get four shots of that." And he's like, "Yeah, fine, okay, fine." And he like leaves, comes back with those shots, not realizing that there's three people at the table. But I've ordered four shots, so I give two to the girls. I take one, and I take the fourth, and I give it to him. And it's like, I don't care what your manager thinks. Wait till he's not looking. You are doing this shot with us. And he's right. like, he's so startled by it. But then he like looks around. He sees his manager isn't looking. He cheers with us. We do the shot. And then we had the best service ever. And the girls were like, how did you know? And I was like, well, I know. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. But you like, know what? The, be the, kind to people. Important, they'll be kind to you. There's an important lesson here. I mean, this is, this is you know, that's that kind of perception. How do I... Let's 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 relate this to the wine for a second. How do I enjoy what's in front of me? How do I enjoy what's in front of me? If How you... do I make what's in front of me work for me? Mm, that that's in a, even like that's you know, an even better question. Episode three, like we we dealt with a wine that neither one of us really cared for too much, but you know we still have to find a way that if that wine is presented to us, how is it going to work for us? Mm. I mean, I've had a. Do glass... you think we succeeded or? Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. I'll edit that out. <laughs> you should leave it in now. No. <coughs> um, okay. How could we make it work for us? Well, that's kind of the question here. It's like, you know, we're talking about servers and wine, all these things. How do we, how do we make it work for us? It's just, it's just witnessing, observing. And it kind of, you know, like let's say that that server that you had, Mm-hmm. You know, the average person would have thought, oh, what a bitchy server. A perceptive person, a person who's, you know, 
consciously or unconsciously competent. You know, let's say that guy, that young guy who's like tasting the wine for 90 seconds, mm-hmm. that guy wouldn't have fucking jive with that server either. That's not going to work. That's not happening. Mm. Right? Not, like you, you saw the situation for what it was. You knew what to do. You made a quick decision that was easy. You let him make it for you. You know, it was no questions asked. It was simple. It was straightforward. And then you one-upped it. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. That's kind of the, you know, unconscious competence that we want to get to. We all want to get to when it comes to enjoying wine. Because you know why? We enjoy it more when we do that. We don't think to ourselves, oh, what a terrible wine. Guess what? If we think that, it ruins our experience. Mm-hmm. If we change our perspective to, well, shit, this is the wine in front of me, and we kind of want to drink anyway. Uh, who am I with? How can we enjoy this moment? If you have no food to pair it with, if you have no nothing, can we come up with any jokes about this wine that make it funny? How are we going to remember this moment? I mean, is is life not about just the moments that we remember hmm. versus the moments we forget? Does it really matter what the wine was? You know, you said something similar the other day. With, oh, my God. My memory is... Fa- I didn't get much sleep last night, so my memory is a little... Woohoo! Uh, That's fine. I don't I don't know if it was you, but it it's was like... It's a moment you forgot. The, the memorable... <laughs> <laughs> the memorable moments are weird. Who said that? It was, was me. That, you? that was you. Okay, what what exactly did you say? Because well, I'll tell you. I have, I have it in front of me right here. Oh, you were at the... You were at... You were at my place, and you were writing. Well, I was talking. I'm writing a book on wine right now. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. All of the above. Um, and one of the things you know I like to talk about with wine is if you want to build your wine database, your internal database, your memory of wine. I mean, wine is really about memory. That's the only thing that makes it. It's not just memory. It's discovery. It's place. It's understanding. It's people. Okay, tie that into what you were stuff. we were talking about the other night, though, because you said something that resonated really strongly with me. If you don't mind, I'm going to read what I wrote. Yeah, last night. go I've got for a, it. I've got a lengthy paragraph. Go for it. Uh, about you know tying wine to your memory, using association as a tool to build your memory. Um, combine your experience tasting or drinking wine with something else to firmly plant it in your memory. This may require some personal development. For example, start a conversation with a complete stranger about something ridiculous while you are tasting a certain wine. You will probably remember that wine, and you'll remember that stranger. And you'll remember that conversation. Sing a song from, like, a ridiculous, like the Spice Girls. Something from your childhood while you're drinking, while you're drinking wine. You'll remember that wine. Like, get people to sing it with you. Get get something started around it. Make the wine an event. It doesn't matter what it is. You will remember it better for that. Um, wake up in the morning and open a good bottle of wine that you have in your house. Don't be ashamed. At the wrong time. Like yeah. the, the quote-unquote wrong time. If you do, like, if you, you have to make things unusual often to better remember them. We remember the unusual hmm. more so than there we remember is. the usual. We remember the weird. Do you remember 
every like what what every single experience of you brushing your teeth in the morning was like in the past week no and that reminds me exactly of like the you don't the, the guys who come to the bar like three or four or five or six times a week and they just drink pilsner the same bloody pilsner every time and it's like you're just repeating the same day again i don't remember brushing my teeth your office space for the past without the month? realization <laughs> i remember it you know, however, a couple of weeks ago, you know, having not slept in my own bed, I remember meeting friends at the bar, you know, at like noon, you know, after I got my bearings and got out of where I was. And I remember having some toothpaste in my car, going into a communal washroom in this bar, putting the toothpaste tube to my mouth, <laughs> squeezing it into my mouth, and then like, taking some water from the automatic tap in the public communal bathroom and swishing it around to kind of freshen up a little bit. Like, I remember that experience. I don't no, no. remember brushing my teeth. The, the garnacha rosé that experience. I had the other day, the other, when yeah. we were driving home from Seattle. You know, right. I was in the backseat. It was like, what, 10 in the morning? And I was like, I'm not going to let this rosé go to waste. That's right. I actually find it really tasty. I am going to remember the taste of that wine forever. for the rest of your life. Because it was just, it was so wonderful. I mean, obviously, I wasn't driving. I was in the backseat. But exactly. It was so... so Hmm. Well, let's let's yeah, if maybe I, if I may. Go. I'm going to continue. Go for like, it. Go like for I mean, it. that's that's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Try to create, try to create the worst possible wine and food pairing you can imagine. <laughs> like, try and do it. Why? Why would you not do it? Skittles and Shiraz. If you don't understand, here's a, exactly. <laughs> if you don't understand what food and wine pairing, try and think of the last two the, the food and the wine you would think would be least likely to actually be good together yeah go in the opposite direction get a raw oyster and have like the biggest possible red wine you can possibly find i actually kind the of most enjoy tannic. that fine maybe you like it that's great if you like it you're weird but good for you right like you know we celebrate deviancy in this country apparently <laughs> i do <laughs> in most first world countries <laughs> we're supposed to celebrate it um and we will keep celebrating on this talk show um, but do, do, do these weird things. I mean, you know, you're going to learn something. I mean, what else like can you do? Taste a bottle of wine at 7 a.m. that you opened during the one-night stand that you had last night. Finish it at 7 in the morning. Finish it when you wake up. Taste it. Like, you're, gonna, you're never going to forget that wine. And just taste it while you walk home, you know? <laughs> you know, watch The Little Mermaid with the wine that you open. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. an interesting idea. Is it? Like, kind of re-explore your childhood experiences with a bottle of wine. A pair of wine with a Steely Dan record. <laughs> like, think, oh, what would be, what would go well with Asia? What would go well with Gaucho? What would go well with uh, watching an episode of the Power Rangers? Exactly. I mean, what, I don't, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, take pictures of the wines you drink. Remember them. It'll last longer if you take a picture. You know, Drink something out of the bottle that should be drunk from, like, should be decanted for four hours. Just open it and have a swig. See what the hell happens. Like, get irreverent, guys. Like, I mean, you know, we're really talking about, like, building familiarity with variety. Buy a cheap wine and expensive wine. Have a glass of each or a couple glasses of each and then blend them together. You will not forget either one of them. It's the unusual that Unusual and memory. uncomfortable. And the uncommon. Like, it's, it's good to, like... They always say this, like, make yourself uncomfortable. It's like taking a cold shower. It's actually really good for you, health-wise, but it's uncomfortable. I remember 
the cold showers I've taken because I've taken so few of them. I've taken a lot, and I remember every single one. <laughs> see, there you go. I see exactly. You know, I mean, like get get a like drink a wine like excessively. Remember the hangover it gives you. Yeah, buy a case of a wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> drink it till it's gone. You know, like like get a cheap bottle of wine and smash it on the pavement, and get down on your hands and knees, clean it up, and smell it. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like you, I mean, everyone that's, needs to go that's through a that. Bit of a waste. It's not though. Speak for yourself. Okay, I will. I'm not gonna do that. Gonna you don't have to do that. Fine. You know, buy as many. Go to Trader Joe's and buy as many bottles for twenty dollars as you possibly can. I've definitely done that. Yeah. Very recently. I mean, you know, you never know. It's just to understand. God bless Trader Joe's. You need to live like all halves. It's not just thoroughly modern Millie living like the other mm-hmm. half. You got to live like. All the quarters, all the halves, all the thirds, all the, you know, all the eighths of people that are out there. If you really want to understand this business, you want to understand this wine, you want to understand what it is, who makes it, who drinks it, who grows it, who sells it, who serves it. All right, this episode's getting a little fat. Should we trim Which this I shit down? I quite enjoy. I'm ready for <laughs> bottle number two. We've finished the I bottle. I mean, honestly, this is... We finished the bottle 20 minutes ago. Yeah, this you know, is an exceptional little Under wine. an hour. And it's not a little wine. I would not. I would think it's a den. That's a. That's a. It's a derogatory comment. This is an excellent example. And well, I, w- I was. I, was, th- I was thinking about it like globally. Like you can't get this everywhere. Yeah. They don't export this, do they? It drives me crazy. And people say, "Oh, it's a nice little wine." Why yeah. does that drive you crazy? Because it's it's oversaid. That's the only reason. It's a nice little wine. What does that even mean? What does it mean? Define it. Well, nice little wine. What does it mean? It's it's little because you can't get it everywhere. It's a nice wine that's in very limited production. It's very hard to find. Okay, limited, little? No, little, people don't say it. Little, people say nice little wine about wines that are there are a lot of, so define that. Okay, well, I'm not people. Mm, you're kind of talking like people. <sighs> this is a great, wonderful wine. That's more like it. That I would like to celebrate. Me too. I wish I wish more people than just British Columbia could have this. Well, the beautiful thing is that uh, if you want to know, I bought this wine at uh, the Brewery Creek Liquor Store on Main Street, about Main and Fourteenth or so around there. 14th in Vancouver, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Canada. For those of you listening abroad, come visit us. Yes, and have some Blue Mountain. Go to the winery. Um, the reason I bought this, would you like to know? Of course. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I actually had this wine in mind before we did this episode, and I committed to saying, okay, for this episode, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to kind of buy whatever, BC wine, a white wine that's in the cooler, ready to go, and, you know, purchasable. And I thought, oh, Blue Mountain, you know, generally a little more premium. They're obviously a really, really, really reputable producer. Uh, the Mavidi family, who owns and operates the winery, are just have a lot of integrity. I've been very fortunate to um do some work with them and you know co-host a couple of events with them and hmm. and work with their wines uh at the restaurants and programs i've run and worked with um you know it's a recognizable brand that is well known well liked and well respected in bc now one of the reasons i also picked this wine up from the store was because it was one of the least expensive wines in the door Really? In the cooler door. No. It was 21 and change. What? 
uh, before taxes, which is normal in BC. And there was only about, there's only a handful of wines in the entire cooler door. So we're talking about six or seven shelves uh, with, you know, five or six facings apiece. It was in the lower quarter. It's rare you price. get. It's rare that you get affordable integrity. Well, and that is, and you know, so the funny thing was, is I was kind of open-minded when I showed up there. I was like, maybe we should try something that I don't know, that I'm not familiar with, that I don't have a predisposition towards. But when I got there, you know, recognizing such integrity, um, reputable quality, we haven't even dived into their vineyard practices, which are absolutely nothing but admirable and remarkable another episode um it doesn't matter i mean there's really you know the beautiful thing is you know let's just quickly touch on their website blue mountain um this is bluemountainwinery.com um nothing but valuable information on that website which only adds value truth and integrity to the product if you want to understand what's going on with this wine they will tell you on their website they have a you know they have like a they have google maps like with the winery location and the entire valley like built into their site it's all about information it's all about value literal value um i like how they have their their product reviews they don't have tasting notes so much they do they have a winemaker tasting note but they have hmm. just some These, consumer reviews some these guys must read uh, seth godin's blog <laughs> It's just beautiful stuff, really. I mean, there's really nothing to complain about. Um, and it also happened to be one of the least expensive hmm. chilled white wines um, in the liquor store I was shopping at, which was just unbelievable and a real treat. <sighs> thank you. Thank the, you. To the Mavidi family. Well, thank Blue you, Mountain. Stephen, for introducing me. And... Um, yeah, what do we want to say? And wonderfully unexpected experience. Who's going to like this wine? Uh, if you like Sauvignon Blanc, you will appreciate this wine. You will enjoy it. If you like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, uh, give this a try. It's going to be a little bit more fuller body, a little bit more textured, hmm. less less potent, less grassy, less really searing acidity, but uh, still very you know refreshing, clean, very very clean wine. As someone who's who's had very little white wine, I found this very enjoyable mm. but you also have to remember i am looking to try and enjoy these things that's right which and is so an important you. part of the perspective and so should you but i mean not a difficult wine to enjoy no i think we can both no, agree on that definitely not um and you know what we we used the word in our last episode um talking about you know a cabernet kind of a commercial cabernet sauvignon from california and uh, we use the word safe which I was a little dissatisfied with because I thought, in a certain way, that wine was really unsafe. What? We don't know anything about it. Well, it's unsafe in that way, but in terms of like trying to produce something for a mass market, it was a it was a whatever they did. It was a safe commercial. Whatever play. they did is a safe conglomerate of choices. We're talking about a commercial brand of wine yes. from California, safe in a commercial sense. I think for me. Uh, I found that wine was unsafe. There was no inf- There was very little, if to no information, on the wine itself, where it came from, who made it, how it was made, where it was sourced, anything. Uh, Blue Mountain, you know, our Sauvignon Blanc here that we're drinking, and it goes for all of their wines. Um, 
safe in the sense that there is a lot of easily accessible information coming directly from the winery. Uh, and also, if you're interested in asking anyone in any restaurant, you know, wine program in BC who knows anything about wine, drop the name Blue Mountain. They will tell you and they will corroborate uh, the information happily for you because it's it's a well-known fact about oh, okay. what they're doing. Okay, so the difference is like Blue Mountain is a safe choice for the consumer. It's whereas, safe. It has integrity. Whereas like the, the brand name that we were dealing with last week. The it's called tr- Cannonball. The, Cannonball. Cannonball made safe choices for themselves in terms of what they're doing as a business. Correct. From a consumer's point of view, not safe at all. Absolutely not. So th- that's we don't the, know what we're drinking. That's the difference. We that's no the idea. difference in terms of like the way that the word safe is being used. But yeah, we want to we want to spin safe, you know, nothing but positively here. It's like yeah, you, you want transparency. There's, you want to try great BC infinite wine. Transparency here with Blue Mountain. You want to try that's something to respect. You know a you know, textured, complex, uh, but extremely drinkable, accessible, likable, dry white wine from British Columbia. Like, look no further. End of story. You want to pair this with anything, any kind of, you know, any meal you could have in a summertime in BC with local ingredients, this is your wine. Mm. Girlfriend, this is your wine. (laughs) So thank you, Blue Mountain. We want to say thank you for your integrity, your continued commitment to quality. Um, leaving a small footprint, you know, leaving things better than you found it, uh, and for your innovation, um, and just for giving us something delicious that we can feel good about. We have nothing but praise for you, and thanks. And um, and I think that corroborates the message we want to deliver to our consumers is bloody well go buy a bottle. Like, Amen. Hello. Amen. <laughs> Enjoy it as much as we did. Uh, and did, we enjoyed it a lot. Did you bring a second bottle? No, I brought another bottle, though. Oh. Which we can certainly crack. <laughs> also, Sauvignon Blanc from BC, uh, from my producer called Lock and Worth. Um, Ooh, a lot of integrity there, a lot of information. Lock and Worth, Lock and Worth. Good things coming from them as well. Uh, a little shout out there. Um, thanks to their crew there in Naramata Bench. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, this has been my Bitch and Wine Talk Show. I'm your host, Stephen Lane, with my. Reckless and beautiful colleague, whom I love so very much, Mr. Chester the Nightfly, Northfield. (laughs) That's right. We've enjoyed the Blue Mountain Sauvignon Blanc 2016 from the Okanagan Valley. This episode, we will see you once again next week on this podcast. Keep it tuned and keep it in the short grass. Drink some stuff. Thanks for listening. Just drink it, alright? Sure. Chester, have you opened the wine yet? Can we get the show on the road, please? Did you bring the wine? I got the wine. What do you think this is? Some kind of bitch and wine talk show? Ha <laughs> ha